Welcome to Bush Footy Legends, presented by Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. We'll be dusting off the old pigskin and catching up with a few of the people who have made country footy tick in Western Australia. The Northampton Football Factory is one of the most remarkable stories in our national game's history. The 2016 Australian Census found that this gutsy little town that sits about 52 kilometres north of Geraldton in WA's Midwest had just 3,319 residents. So when you look at the raft of stars the town has produced, you know you're dealing with a mob prepared to punch well above their weight. Two of those stars, Andrew Lockyer and Paul Hazelby, join me now to talk about what makes the town tick and how it built an uncompromising will to succeed. Good morning, boys. Morning, how are you, Butts? Very Morning, well. Steve, how are you? Well, tell us about Northampton to start with. What does make it tick, Andrew, in your, in your eyes? Uh, a lot of cousins, I think. <laughs> a lot of no, I think, yeah, I think really from an early age, the town's really big on sport. And uh, especially when I grew up, you know, and uh, I think when, when Paul was around too, you know, you played uh, in town, you played basketball, you played cricket, you played footy, you know, uh, you played tennis. And it was a really, really big orientation around sport. And I think that rubbed down on, you know, a lot of kids there were always there and they're playing all different sports. And I really uh, think that matured out to a lot of good players coming through because they're playing a lot of ball sports up there. Well, Paul, we'll go through the lineage a little bit uh, and the connections through the town. But for you to be a Northamptonite, was it a special thing? And is, does it remain a proud thing for you? It certainly is, yeah. People talk about something being in the water up there in Northampton, and uh, they did find high levels of lead yes. in the water <laughs> after a few years of testing. But I think what Andrew said was spot on that we just grew up around the sports clubs. Mm. And you compare that to the life that our kids have in the city, it's completely different. We were at the tennis club on Sunday, you'd go Friday night to basketball, footy on Saturday and Sunday as well, doing whatever you could. And, you know, that was all there was. There wasn't this alternative alternative lifestyle that you see now. So I think uh, that was probably the reason we've had so many uh, good players. And, and there was an era, I think, when Andrew first started, uh, Northampton had such a successful period. Mm. Um, you know, you had the Johnsons, the Cripps, the Drages, the Lockyers that, uh, you know, ha obviously had a successful period and all their kids have gone on to, to keep Northampton thriving. Well, I understand, Andrew, that lead story that you were telling there, Paul, that was because of there was stockpiling of tailings for decades at the <laughs> Northampton State Battery. Or did you just get down in the tunnels there well, and they, drink they, a bit well, of the water? Or what, no, what happened no, there? well, they've actually just done, uh, a lot of the houses in the town have actually had to dig all their driveways and that up because they use all the lead to put down foundations for the housing. <laughs> and uh, I know my mum's house, uh, which is over 100 years old, the driveway was all lead and they've just taken it out. Well, as kids, we used to go, um, I used to ride with uh, my mates, we used to go to the lead mine and muck around. <laughs> we didn't think anything of it. So maybe there could be something in there, but uh, no, she's an interesting little town to grow up in. You don't have a nervous twitch or something every no, now and then, do you? No, no banjos either. So <laughs> <Double dangling. laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Well, um, I mean, the town's got a remarkable fighting power. We, we'll mm. get into it, a few of the names and the players who've been there, but I'm a bit surprised it hasn't wanted to secede a little bit like the late Prince Leonard and his Principality of Hutt River, it's nearby, isn't it? Why didn't Northampton do something like that? Yeah, I, you look, Prince Leonard, he's a, he's a different character. And, uh, <laughs> to yeah, say the least. <laughs> to say the least, you know, and especially growing up when they were talking about he wanted to build an international airport out there at, um, at the Hutt River. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a big big move to go out there. And, but um, no, it's an interesting place, Northampton's really. It's a really good country town mm. and it has changed a lot. Uh, you know, yeah, we were talking about the sports. You know, it's, it's, it's sad now to hear that like the footy team has to go to Geraldton, the five players, and they train one or two nights 
sports in Geraldton. There's no basketball played up there. Don't know if the tennis is still going, and all that sort of is now falling away. Mm. And um, it, it's a real shame because our, our you know, up at the uh, country club used to be a really hub for everyone, for families and all that. And I'm sure there were some families created at in the country club at those times. But yes, that's some great stuff. Though. Uh, Maybe you know. even Paul himself. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Paul will raise it up there. You've probably conceived at that time. Hayes, the town was gazetted in 1864. It makes it one of WA's oldest towns. And I know when you drive through that main street, you see that beautiful, romantic, neo-Gothic church in the main street. It's a, it's, it just gives you a feeling of soul as soon as you walk, drive through that town, I reckon. Do, do you feel that sense of history when you're growing up in the place? I don't think you feel the history. It's just what what you know. I think, you know, I went to St. Mary's there. And that's the school right behind the church, the convent's there. So my childhood was all about growing up around there. My parents, we used to be the gardeners for the school and the church. So the amount of times that I've uh, mowed that lawn. So, you know, I, I don't think you appreciate the history of your own town until you leave it a bit and then go back and, and see what's happened from that date. But you know, we're very proud of Northampton, not only because of the AFL players that have come out of there, but, you know, the, the team that exists there and just the community spirit that exists. Mighty Rams, aren't they? Mighty Rams, yeah. They haven't been mighty for a long time. It is getting tough, obviously, mm. with the farmers. Said, yeah. They used to supply all the players, and now those farmers are certainly uh, selling out and they're getting bigger and bigger, so there's less kids to choose from. And, and they don't have the same appetite. I think the kids, I think mm. Horrock Speech has come into play, probably mm. a lot more for a lot of those younger kids where they're doing other activities activities, whether it be fishing or surfing as well. So we need another premiership, that's for mm. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from the lead, is the strength of the town its people, do you think? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think, uh, as I said, the the parents that, uh, or that era that came through, they just, they lived and breathed sport and we spent all of our time at the community football club and, and uh, the sports community club as well. So that's what I remember and I think that's what sets it apart. Andrew, I've been told that the people in the town even call it Little Tasmania because of the intertwined relationships. Is that true? I don't know so much about that, but there's a lot of connections, you know, there's strong um, you know, relationship between a lot of families, you know, like Paul's family, you know, the Hazelbees and the Simpsons family, yeah. They're really, really strong, you know, ties to the Northampton town itself and also to the sporting uh, you know, forays up there and... Um, yeah, no, she's a tight little knit town, but uh, yeah, some things are got. But uh, you know what Hayes was talking about is that the um, you know from early on days, I think there was that real culture of being successful up there, and I think there was some turning points that I can remember. You know, coming to the football club uh, as a young bloke and just seeing some of these uh, great footballs come through our footy club, and uh, I think there was a turning point through the late seventies, which uh, I think for, forged uh, probably um, the success of breeding some really good footballs coming out of Northampton. And did you feel that growing up, Paul? Or did you, I'm going to ask you a little bit about watching Andrew when he played when you were just a kid shortly, but <clears throat> did you feel that there was some sort of um, strength behind the club, if you like? They were the legends. Like, you look at uh, the AFL players back then, it was probably a little bit further removed than it is right now, but I remember growing up, didn't see Andrew play up in Northampton. I saw him play down Lee Shermantle and the West Coast Eagles after that. But, you know, guys like Jamie Drage, uh, Chris Sullivan, Dion Gould, um, those sort of guys, the Varney brothers, like, they were my heroes growing mm. up. You're watching to see what they could do. And these are local blokes. On the weekend. Yeah. And a few of them had the opportunity to come down and try in the waffle. They didn't succeed, so they 
they weren't the best of players, but in my mind growing up, they certainly had everything and you just wanted to aspire to be like them. Gary Edwards was another one that mm. uh, he did get the opportunity to come down to Perth and, and did pretty well as well. Just loved the way that he moved and he was probably the first one that I looked at and said, I want to play like that guy. So you became a role model yourself with your deeds through Fremantle. Did you feel it really important to have those sort of local role models as you were growing up? I did. And I think um, the other thing with the AFL guys that have gone there, Andrew, was the trendsetter. He was the first one that made it in the big smoke. And I think we've all influenced the next generation mm. of AFL player that's come through. And Andrew might not remember it, but I remember going to Eastermount Low with my old man one day and he comes over the fence and he, he talks to me and you're like, well, that's that's Andrew Lockyer. That's a star of the Waffle competition and in the AFL as well. And then years later, it's me doing it to Josh Kennedy. I also was a few years behind Daniel Chick as well. So I think Andrew's showing the way for all of us to follow that a little kid from a small town can actually make it in the big smoke. Uh, you know, I think for me, it certainly went a long way. Yeah, well, both, I remember both uh, Harry Taylor and Josh Kennedy both talking about how they idolised Daniel Chick mm. growing up. And I thought, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? The, the, through the generations, I mean, mm. we sort of block you all in together now, don't we? But it has been generational, hasn't it? There's a, a big difference between, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you are old you are now, but Chicky <laughs> was probably six years older than me. Yeah. You were probably maybe 10 years older than him. Uh, Josh is about eight years younger than me. Harry's about the same age. And then you've got Patrick uh, mm, coming yeah. through. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that close to Patrick because you realise that, uh, you know, he's certainly probably 14 years younger than me. So when I was coming through, he was just getting out of diapers. It's yeah. <laughs> interesting Chicky. about that connection between the ages and the generations. I remember when Chicky came down and was playing at Deesha Mount. I was probably at the back end of my career. And I remember his mum ringing me up one night and said, Andrew, can you just grab him? Because he's really heartbroken. He's homesick. He wants to go home. So I had, had to get Daniel around and, uh, yeah, we had him around for a couple of nights and uh, talked to him about staying down here, that, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity, give it the most and you just never know where you'll go. And, you know, a couple of years later, he's played mm-hmm. in the AFL, played in the premiership teams and um, so, yeah, so those, those sort of things. Then I'll get the chance to coach against Hayes and when Hayes was at the Eastern Isles Coach in West Perth, I'd get to coach against him. I'd get to coach um, Josh Kennedy in 2005 in his, uh, <laughs> in his draft year. So, all those sorts of things come there. But it's amazing the connections for yeah, you make, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I think uh, what Hayes is talking about is that our, our town was really proud and it was pretty strong with our football. And I reckon, as I sort of started to say about the night, the late 1970s, we um, we had an influx of really good footballs. And probably the one that had the most, there's a couple of guys. There's a local guy called Owen Simpkin came back. He played at Chapman Valley. He was a, he, you know, he's, a, he's out from Port Gregory. He went across to Chapman Valley, which was unheard of. <laughs> and no one was a legend of our town. But then he came back late in the 70s. But a guy called Leon O'Dwyer came to town. Now, Leon had played at West Perth and actually played a bit at Collingwood. And, and Toad, as he was known then, he came and he, he had this foundation of turning Northampton Footy Club into a really strong footy club. And uh, and we won three premierships in a row, triple premiership, mm. you know, 77, 78 and 79. And I reckon it was on the back of that. There was great mm. players, you know, Hazel's dad, Ricky, was, was a really good player, and his brother John, you know, they were really, really good players. You know, we had Owen Sumi there, and uh, we had Leno Dwyer, and um, probably one of the best footballs we had at Northampton was Stuart Gould, who was our ruck. And, um, you know, those sorts of players. So as kids, I never had an ambition to actually go to Perth. I just wanted to play for Northampton mm. Footy Club. I just wanted to play league footy for Northampton Footy Club. And um, as you get old and you play some league footy at 16, 17, then, you, you know, Eastern Mel came knocking and 
actually that year I'd played Teal Cup and uh, just you know, Daryl uh, Reynolds asked me, did I want to go to Perth and try for the Teal Cup at that time? And I said, yeah, I'll go and have a try. And I was lucky enough to get um, picked and we went over to Queensland, played in Queensland. When I came back, the old man came out a few weeks when we got back and said, um, had this bloke called Hayden Buntering up from North Adelaide and uh, he wants to know if you want to come to Adelaide <laughs> next year and play in Adelaide. <laughs> and I said, well... Can I stay home and play for Northampton? <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Northampton, uh, the Mal came knocking. And so at the age of seventeen, you know, I was off to Perth. Mm. And and unlike today, where the kids have that ambitions very from that young age and they can see a pathway, our pathway was just to play for Northampton. And you just love playing for Northampton. And Paul, when Andrew mentioned all those names, I saw you nodding. They obviously names mm. that resonated through your youth as well. Absolutely, they were all around this. Mm. All the football club, but also the tennis community as yeah. well. Stork, the scoreboard's named after him as well. So. I remember more fondly, uh, just a question about Rick Hayes, would be my old man. Mm. He, he talks himself up as being one of the, the best modern-day ruckmen. He was only six foot, he tells me, but he used to jump <laughs> over him. And yeah. he was disappointed that uh, you left him out of his all-time uh, best Northampton oh, team. Uh, no. Well, it was pretty hard to uh, squeeze him in there. <laughs> with a toss-up between him and uh, Lawrence Drage and uh, for old Python got a rugged. But Ricky was a really good player, really good. Yeah, his brother, John, you know, I played not only for John him, was John, a star, wasn't John, he? He was a jet. He was an absolute absolute jet. He could have gone. And, and you know, in, in those times, you know, there was myself and Glenn Holt, both in 1985 playing a premiership. We were both Northampton guys who played in Northampton. I think Glenn Holt was probably one of the best footballs I'd ever seen out of Northampton. I reckon he should have gone on to play mm. AFL. He just yeah, had... Name you don't hear, yeah, really? well, his speed and his size and he could jump over everything. And he came down, he drove, drove to front down from Shark Bay every Sunday to play for Northampton. Mm. So it was, a, it was a good effort. But Ray, I mean, Hazel's dad, Ricky, was a he was a very good player. And John's son, Casey, was mm. a year older than me, and he's the last player from Northampton to play 200. And Casey didn't have much skill. He could hardly kick over a jam tin. But he got to 200, and it was one of my greatest honours to go back and play in his 200th after my career and to see my pop, uh, who's now 92, he ran out on the ground after. Because Northampton had probably 10 or 15 years of really tough times, and we actually had a win on that occasion. Yeah, but, uh, you know, for my career, Casey was that one that I used to beat up on all the time in the backyard, but he'd keep coming Mm. All the time, all the time, and that's why I became such a great player. But I owe him a fair bit uh, for my success because of the childhood I had alongside him. Andrew, let's go right to the top of the dynasty and the the matriarch, your 90-year-old mum, Edna. <laughs> yeah. Still going around. It's so yeah, good to see. Be, she, yeah. I met her a few years ago. Very nice to meet her. And mm. she told me the secret was having what is known as the Crips bum. Can you yeah. take us through that? <laughs> well, <laughs> when you've got a nickname as Barge, yeah, you probably, <laughs> you probably get it get it pretty quickly. No, look, um, look, mum, uh, mum's a Crips, and uh, and there's a tie up, you know, with Northampton of the Crips family, is long along with the Haysbys and Simpsons. Now I've seen there's a museum yeah. in town. There's a photograph mm. on the wall in there, with, mm. and there's Crips, 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 Crips. Yeah, well, my mum and um, is a Crips, and she's related to you know, now probably Paddy's uh, Paddy's grandfather and uh, Jamie Crips's grandfather, and they're all first cousins. So mm. there's a fair tie up. And interesting life. Um, Chris Mainwaring's mum Leah, she was a Crips as well. So she's his first cousin cousin to my mum as well. So the Crips family up there seems to have bred uh, a fair amount of not bad footballers up there. So. Yeah, if we could get them all together, and uh, along with the Hazelies and Simpsons, I reckon we'd have a fairly good team. I'll ask you both this question, but did you feel like the town had your back during your careers as well, or was it that sort of feeling, like the they banded together that strongly that if you needed it, you knew that support back home was there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Every time you go up there, it was almost, it was a different sort of feeling because you grew up and you wanted to go home and, and be normal, yeah. but you could see that, you know, they had a lot of adoration for all their players that come you from that Your mates would have pretty normal though, As well. They? The mates certainly did. They were coming <laughs> down enjoying some of the good times, <laughs> which was a fantastic weekend uh, when the Northampton boys would come down for country week and, yep. and whatnot. But yeah, certainly, you know, it's something that I think everybody in Northampton tells the story about all the players that have yeah. come out of that era because they are quite proud. Did you feel that, Andrew, as sort of the, a, a trendsetter in some ways? Um, I think I'd, I'd try to... Cr- I'm a bit like Hayes. When you came home, you just you just want to come home and just get away from the hurly burly. Yeah, it was hard, wasn't it? Yeah, and in in the first you know my first years, you know I'm I'm playing the highest competition, which was the waffle. So and I used to come home and I'd spend three four months at home and work with the old man and help him out and then go back and uh, go back to training probably about January February. So uh, but I tried to make us normal and the good thing about it I think a lot of people in Northampton saw that you want to try to keep normal and they just just made it easy for you. You know you just did the normal things. They didn't treat you anymore. They you know they all say you know it's good to see you, Jaws. You know obviously my nickname up there at that time and um, you know you just go down you the have a shark? beer. Yeah no no I was never the big shot. That was Ron <laughs> Alexander mate. I was never <laughs> yes. I was never that and that. I was just yeah just plain old Jaws and, uh, and that was good. You know and you go home for four or five months unlike the you know, fellows who can't do that these days. You know and you play basketball. You go play. I used to play cricket. Used to you know even when I was playing Ishmael League, I'd uh, play in Country Week basketball for Northampton when they come down. That was in March. Ron Alexander wouldn't know that, but (laughs) (laughs) certainly kept that away from him. But, yeah. I I see Daniel Chick, we're talking about him. He posts (coughs) quite proudly sometimes the term Mooney Mai, which is the Aboriginal name for Northampton. Is that something that Northampton people use? Like... You can't escape it. Like, yeah. wherever it's a bit you like go. The, is it a bit like I see the sort of bit like the shin bone at North Melbourne? Yeah, there. you'd be yeah. in uh, you'd be in Melbourne playing a game, and you'd hear from the crowd, "Money, my, money, my," and you look yeah. over, it and you just know that's that's what they that? they call Northampton. Yeah. So that'd be special, though, wouldn't it? It is special, yeah, yeah, particularly with the Indigenous community up there as well. They're a big part of Northampton, have been of the football club as well, and and their support of both Eagles and Dockers players that have gone on and AFL players is enormous. Well, speaking of that, I think didn't Liam Ryan? He was around the club as a little kid sometime around the traps. I know his dad, Darren Snotty, was a pretty fair star up there, but... Yeah, yeah it's probably more, I think they're probably more Rovers. Yeah. Uh, the mm. Ryans are even probably more from the Rovers area, but, you know, you know Paddy Ryder's dead, I think. He's, he Revis. Can, Revis. I think Revis can't play for us yep. for a while. Yeah. He was a gun, Revis. Yeah, he, he was could a play a fair he bit. Play. He's probably still playing now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, he was out. <laughs> so. yeah, was out. Last time I saw him, but yeah, yeah. he's uh, definitely been evergreen uh, yeah. now in the police force, so yeah. doing a good job. When you see, uh, well, actually, I want to talk about that Daniel Chick moment first, Andrew. In two thousand six, mm. you mentioned it briefly, but that moment in the grand final is just something you dream of, isn't it? He made about four different one percent efforts in the one play to give Adam Hunter that goal that won him the premiership in two thousand six. Yeah. It was. I imagine you would have been proud to watch that play out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a proud moment for Chicky, but it probably typifies what Chicky was all about. Chicky wasn't probably the most uh, skilled player, you know, but he had he had a bit of ticker. He had a bit of ticket, and he had to go. And the, the mm. thing about Chicky, and uh, certainly when he played at East Mouth as a young bloke with the, when I was there, one thing about Chicky, he knew uh, he'd give you the give his all. He would die for he you. Was yeah, he you was on. You ever bump into him on the yeah. field days? Absolutely. Yeah, no, we were doing a lot of media, working for Channel 10 at the same time when he came back to West Coast as well. So, yeah, he was he was hard. Like, he, yeah. his body 
You know, I was like, he tagged a couple of times, used to play through the midfield, and he had some big scalps mm. throughout his career as a tagger. So, fantastic player. And that moment, it, as Andrew said, typifies what he was about. He's the ultimate team man and never expected any accolades to come along with that. So, now we see Josh Kennedy, Jamie Cripps winning a premiership in 2018. We see Jamie's cousin, Patty, Patrick, as he said a minute ago, he's toiling away at the Carlton midfield so brilliantly. He's a big unit too. And, uh, you know, even old Harry Taylor still toiling away in Geelong's defence. You, are you proud when you see those guys playing? Do you take a special watch of them? Yeah, I used to love uh, the Northampton players, and then I'm not even in the best five anymore in the, uh, <laughs> the players to come out of the town. So as I've retired, these players have got better and better. And absolutely, I, I talk about them all the time on radio. Patrick only uh, just recently with his comments about, I will sign with the Carlton Football Club after 2021. There's not many leaders that actually come out of your footy club and do that. They normally shop themselves around to try and get the best deal. It just speaks volumes about, you know, who he is. And I think all of those guys in the AFL, they've been able to bring that country persona to their footy clubs and and make a difference to other people, a lot of Metro people as well, to highlight what it's like to grow up in a country region and you know I think they're all great advocates Harry Taylor still very you know balanced in his approach you can say the same about Josh Kennedy Mm. as well so they're special guys and we're super proud and I presume you watch them pretty closely too Andrew yeah mine's probably uh, Hayes got to play against a few of them but uh, mine's more of uh, having to you know, having coached uh, a lot of them, mm. yeah, and that's that's the proudest moment. Eh? Yeah, you see them. In some way, you might have had a little bit of influence, and uh, and to see where they've gone and where they've got to now, and uh, and so yeah, I think I'm more proud that each time they someone talks to them about, it, they're always happy to mention the oh, yeah, from Northampton, and uh, it was uh, funny the picture the other day with the with the three Crips boys, yeah, yeah and they all got their Rams you know, singlets yeah. on. So yeah, that's 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 really touching. I know. JK likes to get back to Horrocks Beach a bit and, yeah. and Hazel's got a mansion down in Horrocks Beach <laughs> <laughs> all of us well we don't anymore but we you get any no no no, no. We, <laughs> we used to have a little shack one room shack and he's got a five, oh, five bedroom mansion up there overlooking the whole lot what about Patrick's dad Brad he's a pretty big unit too was he about yeah. your vintage no see, Brad, uh, just yeah. after you I, yeah. I remember watching him yeah. growing yeah. up as well yeah. just yeah. solid as a rock down yeah. back did his job yeah. no, no frills no but Brad was more into the horses in mm. his show jumping and that That's he's right, a yeah. really really good equestrian mm. and uh, you know he was, when I was playing and you know 17 year Brad was away at private school at that time so we didn't see too much of him but um, yeah but I can remember him going to the Northampton show and watching him ride around so yeah Jamie's dad, outstanding yeah. footballer JC yeah. Yeah. yeah out yeah. on the wing he's another one when yeah. I was growing up love the way that he played you Me mentioned? and yeah, well, I'll just jump in because Johnny, yeah. Johnny and myself grew up together, and we were pretty close. You know, when we come through as young kids and all that, and I always say that Johnny was better than me. A lot better than me, mm. and he uh, he was he was big, he was strong, he was quick, and um, yeah, it wasn't until he probably got uh, diagnosed with his um, with his diabetes that uh, you know he had to quell it back a bit. You mentioned uh, Chris Mainwaring's mum, Leah Cripps, as Northampton girl, mm. Budge. Um, his sudden death in 2007, did that hit the town pretty hard? 
I don't know if it hit. Well, obviously the Crips uh, tie-up was uh, was close through Brad's family and all that, but um, certainly hit uh, Jelton pretty quick, you know, pretty badly. The whole area, yeah. Yeah, and it was. Um, you did us quite, all, really. Well, yeah. Well, I was quite sad for myself because obviously myself and Maney came down with Murray Renstead and Glenn Holt. We all came down at the same time in 1982, 83, 83 it was, and all played in the Premiership together and uh, forged that uh, real close mateship and uh, and because Maney was. It was a it was a great individual. Mm. It was a good bloke. Yeah, it was, it was a very a very sad moment, and uh, he's well remembered. No doubt about that. Um, Northampton's football prowess starting to get wider appreciation now. No doubt through all the players that have been before. No talking to uh, the AFL's recruiting guru Kevin Sheehan last year. He said this to me: "You look at the Geraldton region. It's been one of the most fertile spots in the whole of Australia with some champion players, and that, I think that's really good acknowledgement from the bloke who does it the best in the AFL house. Do you get some pride out of that sort of recognition, knowing that you played your little role in it?" Yeah, we do. It's now widespread, isn't it? Mm. Uh, there's been a number of articles, number of stories that have been done around it. It's interesting the Jelton part of it too. Like Jelton's got a big population, mm. twenty to thirty thousand. If you go back and look at the amount of players that actually gone on from Jelton, there's not a, a whole heap. Mainly mm, yeah. was one of them. I'm sure the Liam Murray Ryan's Renstead, another one. Renstead. Yeah. I think what separates Northampton is the low population. But mm. when it's all said and done, I think there's currently nine players. I reckon. Most of them are going to get up over 100 mm. games, and there'll be five or six that go over 200 games. So it's not just about getting there, it's, it's making an Doing impact at the yeah. AFL as well. They'll probably end up with a Brownlow medalist soon, the way Patrick's going, you know, Coleman medalist as well. So it's quite extraordinary in that sense. But I've always thought that, you know, Northampton's outperformed Geraldton on, on a population ratio. We'll go to the history books a bit here, Andrew. You played 224 senior games for West Coast and East Fremantle, including three waffle premierships, uh, 14 games in the Eagles' first ever season. What do you consider your toughest time in the game and, and how did you work your way through it? Well, that's a good question. Our first year in the Eagles was probably probably one of the toughest years, I reckon. We were a, a team that was into the VFL. Everyone and hated you. You're training in the Everyone, everyone hated us, and, and even the Waffle hated us. Mm. Yeah, we didn't even have a training facility. Yeah, we used to train out at, at the uni out at Mount Lawley there, and we used to park our cars around some nights and turn on the lights so we could just train a bit longer than when the lights ran out. So, um, yeah, she was she, she was a tough environment. Um, you know, you looked at, you know, grabbing players from every uh, every Waffle Club who a year before or near 10 weeks before we started had been fierce rivals mm. and we came together and in that first year we, we had a squad of 35. That's actually really interesting because you had to sort of lean on blokes that you might have not liked too much only a few weeks before, didn't you, to get yourself yeah. through a tough period? Well, there's a real tough rivalry you know, in the last two years in 85 and 86 with Subiaco. Mm. You know, we won at 85 and they thrashed us in 86. So, And there was that real fierce rivalry. We probably didn't like each other. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, when you have five and six players come out of each club and you know, put them together, you, know, you quickly had to you had to be mate, become mates and Find good teammates. Yeah. The world's you, sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. And as I said, you know, we only had a squad of 35 in the the first year, and you know, as any normal attrition in a, in a VFL AFL team, you know, some weeks we only had twenty two fit blokes mm. to work uh, to pick from. Did no, they all Trevor Nisbet telling me the stories. Yeah. He was looking at those teams. Mm. I mean, he had joined obviously the club a couple of years later. But yeah. He was looking at those teams in the early days, yeah. thinking how how were they actually getting to the line? Yeah, yeah. So we would limp to you know. Well, you'd probably play players who maybe didn't deserve a game, and then there was players who were probably playing with really. 
bad injuries that probably shouldn't be playing. Mm. And in our first year, and it was only a top five, and we went 11-11, missed the finals by one game. And poor old Ron Alexander... Um, Cop the brunt of it after that, so yeah, it was it was it was tough, but I think it was it it probably gave a bit of fabric for the football club. You know, built, some was, built some real character on that, and um, and I think we started to win the public over after a couple of years. And you know, it was, it was in your second year in the top five, you played in the elimination final, in which I believe that we should have won. And then, you know, I reckon after that, I reckon we could have got a few of the other teams. I reckon we had a really good chance that year. It's a beauty of footy, isn't it? Yeah, You never it quite is. know once you don't yeah, get across the line. Yeah, you never know. So <laughs> that's probably the toughest toughest environment I've ever, ever you know, been involved in. Hayes, 208 AFL games with Fremantle. Brief playing and coaching stints with East End, South Fremantle. What do you look back at as particularly difficult and what did you do to get through it? I think 2006 was my toughest period. I think I came into the competition at 2000, uh, some early success as a, a rising star winner, and I was one of those players that if you're fully fit, you go out and you you played pretty well. You just you just knew that uh, you had the ability. But started to get for the first time a few injuries and osteitis pubis, which just takes the, away that ability for you to train and get confidence Play out of it. through your fitness. <laughs> and uh, 2006 was an interesting time for the club because it was the time we actually got on a roll. We won nine in a row, but I was starting to miss a lot of training. I was getting injections all the time. And then we got to the final series and I played the first one, got a lot of injections in that game. I tried to pull out of the game before the final because I just wasn't feeling like I could push through, push through, and then just pulled stumps on my season. The club went on, won the next game, and then went on to the prelim final. So for a player that had been at the club for seven years, a, a fair part of it at that stage, to not get a lick of the ice cream. And I played one final that year. I only played one more throughout my career. So there's a real sadness that in a career of 208, you only played two finals, which really hurts as well. But I think also, you know, with that came a few excuses, getting caught up with your own success a little bit. So I think those years set me up well for life after footy and it was a good time because I still had a little bit left in my career to get back to where I was but there was some some tough mental times through that period. It was a lot of expectation on a country kid from Northampton though wasn't it? You're number two draft pick in 99 then you're the rising star I mean that's a lot to unload on a young fella trying to make his way after being in the country, isn't it? Yeah, I think that pressure comes on a number of young players. When you, you shot into it and as an 18-year-old you have success and all of a sudden you know, you're at the MCG doing the motorcade in in the, the AFL's, um, what do they call it? On Grand Final Parade. Grand Final Parade. Yeah. And yeah. you're just thrust into that and you don't really think about it. And then five or six years down the track, it, it certainly caught up with me a little bit. I think you, know, you, you did get too carried away with it and I wish through that period I probably should have gone back to Northampton a bit more to, you get know, to get the dose of reality, mm. get your mates having some chats with Giving you as well <laughs> to get some perspective yeah. on life. Because I think through that period I certainly lost it. I know we joke about it now, but I think invariably whenever Fremantle lost, they always used to roll you out for an interview <laughs> with me. And uh, I'm still not sure to this day I ever interviewed you after a win, Hayes, which is a bit disappointing. But they must have seen some resilience and leadership in you to be able to do that, though, because it, it happened. Like Every time you lost, out comes Paul Hayes. I, mean, I felt bad for you, actually. <laughs> it was like a common joke, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, so, it oh, was. Here we go, Hayes again, Hayes again. <laughs> after another loss. Yeah, I'm not sure what the reason was. I was always was waiting it? for that moment, Hayes, yeah. that you've had this massive great win, and I could just say, mate, <laughs> let her rip. <laughs> Maybe this is our time. They must have trusted you, though, to sell that message. I think for a long period they did, yeah. yeah. I think uh, towards your back end of your career, you start to have a few 
discussions with the coaches and it goes in a bit of a different direction as well so early on in my career 100% I think later in my career I think they did the opposite they started to to gag you because you know we're working through some contract situations at that stage which didn't end well for either of us. I do want to ask you a couple more about Fremantle so I'll do it now I mean the roller coaster was enormous wasn't it you've start virtually and you've got a club millions of dollars in debt in your early years eight million dollars in debt or something like that then you make your way to your first ever final in 2003 and then Nearly all the way in 2006, as you said, you've gone through coaches Damien Drum, Ben Allen, Chris Connolly, Mark Harvey. It's a fair time, wasn't it? It was robust, to say the least. It was, but when you're in it, you don't think about it like that. When you reflect back, you're like, damn, why didn't we get some better coaches potentially or some better administrators around at that time, which could have guaranteed some almost and some, some success. Because yeah. you, you wear a big load as a player when you don't have success. Like I watch finals and grand finals now and it's just pain. It, it hurts. You know, there's tears that sometimes do flow from that. Well, because, I remember seeing you in 2013 yeah. in Melbourne and you were a bit bittersweet with it, weren't you? you I mean, you're so mm. happy to see Fremantle there, but you were a bit bittersweet about it, weren't you? Because you think it's a failure on your part mm. that you couldn't drag the club with you. But I think, you know, as years have gone on, you start to realise that for a successful football club to get success, they need a lot of pillars in place. We didn't have it. So, yeah, there were some really tough times through that period. But uh, each coach brought something different. I think when Chris Connolly first came in, he sold a lot of hope. They turned the football club around financially. And, and in a short space of time, we actually got to the first final series in 2003. And from that moment, with the list that we had, we should have really pushed forward with another four or five years of success. 2006, we we thought we had the West Coast Eagles oh, well and truly covered. No, there, was at a, that point. there was a strange uh, incidence with the fixtures where we lost a game in Adelaide and West Coast was supposed to beat Sydney here. They didn't, which mean there was a reverse with the prelim finals. Well, it was quite a weird time because West mm. Coast had Adelaide's measure. Yeah. You had West Coast measure. And had Sydney West was Coast sort of around the, the both marks. Had West Coast won the first final, we would have played West Coast here in the prelim and you with a fair that. bit of confidence going in. It's not to say we would have no. beaten them as well. And, and yeah, speaking to Cameron Swab, who was the CEO through that time recently, we, we missed an opportunity. We should have had more sex, success than we did. You had 20 Western Derbies in your career, nearly a whole season full of them. Four Ross Glendinning medals, a record. Just an insight into what those days meant to you? Yeah, I get asked this all the time. It's funny because you don't get medals after any other game. So, you know, I think my record against Carlton, you know, if there was medals, you might have five (laughs) of them as well. But it's just the Western Derby. To be completely honest, I think a lot of the time they put a lot of focus into Matthew Pavlich and in particular Peter Bell, who used to get the number one tag and... Um, as soon as Bally sort of left uh, the Fremantle Dockers, it, it made it a little bit more hard yep. for me because I caught more tags. And, you know, you often see in those big games, the player that doesn't get tagged comes out on top and, and can win those medals. Mm. Andrew, uh, you've watched West Coast win four flags now. Mm. You played in their first ever grand final, mm. 1991. Mm. Uh, similarly to what Paul was saying then about not quite getting there, does it remain a bit bitter for you to watch? It's- or remember a, that and watch it play. Well, out. I can still see. I can still remember the night before the grand final. Mick got uh, this guy to come and speak to us, and uh, it was about opportunity. And he said, uh, and unfortunately, I can't remember the guy's name, but I remember him speaking about he'd only played. He played for Richmond. He'd only ever played in one grand final, and when he played in the grand final, he said, and they lost, he said, "Oh well, I'll be back again." And he never got to play in another grand final, and it resonated probably afterwards. You know, now down the track with me, you know, you only get that one opportunity. Now, probably the disappointing thing from that year was we were the best team all year. 
we were absolutely flying. Yeah, we went 13 and zip. We, you know, we were flying at the start of the year. No one could touch us. Mm. And uh, and um, we uh, probably just in the last few months, you know, we travel got us. There's a few things that happened with <clears throat> certain guys got suspended towards the back end of the year. And um, I've been one of them. So, um, <laughs> Self-deprecation yeah. there. But that, yeah, that gnarly yeah, old Hawthorne team yeah, just had one more shot yeah, in the barrel too, didn't they? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing was us. We played their first ever you know, final out of Victoria here at Subiaco. And that's when they were going to have the 30,000 Craig Turley masks yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So I think we missed a real opportunity there. And I think we were probably a bit overconfident that day that we could get Hawthorne because we'd smashed them at... Um, at Optus Oval, and uh, we'd beaten them by 120 points, you know, nearly 20 goals that year. So we were, but you can't get away from experience. And then on that grand final day, you know, we opened up pretty well. We we got on a bit of a roll early in the game, and I just think a bit of inexperience at the end, uh, yeah, told against us, and the experience on their side got them. There must there must have been some very good coaches <clears throat> and mentors in Northampton over the journey to have produced what they produced. But who would have taught Josh Kennedy that? toe-tapping, soft-shoe shuffle. He definitely goals. didn't get it at no. the Ishmael coach when I was coaching him. <laughs> well, I was just going to suggest yeah, that. But, uh... <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I think you got to feel comfortable with what you what's you comfortable do. for you. And uh, you know, I teach young kids now about kicking, and I say the moment of impacts the uh, is the is the you know, is the time when it's got to get all right. You know, I look at guys like Phil Cracker now. Is does Phil Cracker's um, does his technique bad or is it good? Yeah. But he was definitely you know, he's good with the execution. Doesn't yeah, matter so in the end. It doesn't it? matter in the How end. How would you have gone if you used that old? Soft shoe shuffle back in the day. Yeah, no, 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 not for me. Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> Wouldn't have had a Ford or a Backman. I love the Ford. That's a good question, actually, because yeah, uh, yeah well, yeah, I suppose he was the uh, first swingman, mm-hmm. most of yeah, yeah, yeah. I look, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I just played the game for just for the love of the game. I probably, you know, most of my time coming up through Northampton, you know, uh, I wasn't big enough to play forward. So uh, as a kid, I played in the middle, and then uh, I grew one year fairly quickly. So then I could play down forward, play the Colts, uh, you know, all the thirds up there, and then the forward line, and then went to Ishmael, uh, played my first year, and. As a 18, 19 year old, and kicked seventy five, and thought that was going. And next year, Ryan Alexander puts me to full back. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Yeah, well, it was in the days of Big Stinger Ray. Mick Ray yeah, yeah. was playing, yeah. and um, they Ron deemed it that I was probably the only strongest one in the in the club who could take him on. So He's a big man, uh, and I did really well against him. And Ron said, "Well, you've done well against him, so you can stay there." <laughs> Should so, have turned it up, though. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. So look, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think. So the back end of my years, I reckon my last few couple of years at Eastman was pretty good yeah, as a forward. So, yeah. Hayes, you've got a unique insight into one of the great modern footy stories. Coaching South Fremantle, a bloke, Marlon Pickett, comes and knocks on your door looking for a go. Uh, he completed arguably football's greatest ever story when he went from prisoner to premiership star with Richmond last year. What was your philosophy when he came to the door and trying to build a bit of support around this kid to give him a chance, not only in life, or not only in football, but in life as well? Well, it was his brother that came first. So I got a call from a social worker saying, we've got this kid, we think it'd be really good if he integrated into the football system. I sort of said, can he play? Yeah, look, he goes all right. And at that time, I'm desperate to try and get some players <laughs> to help my own career as a coach <laughs> at South Fremantle. And he came down and he did a really good spin move. And we said, right, we'll keep you on. And he played a few reserves games. He never got to league, his brother. But almost the moment we got him into the club, he said, my brother's better. My brother's going to come along in another year or two. Marlon was still 
in prison. So I think it was a real sacrificial moment from his brother, mm. who might have been tied up with him in a few of the misdemeanours that they had, which led to Marlon going to prison, that he just kept saying, my brother's better, you've got to help him, you've got to help him. And almost as soon as his brother Marlon rocked up at the club, Tommy's duty was sort of done, done, done and he so went back. and looking after his brother in a lot of ways. And he got in some more trouble, did Tommy. So then Marlon came down and like, he was just a privilege to coach. He just glided along the turf and threw him in for a debut. He had 27 and three goals on debut. So, you know, there wasn't much uh, support we really had to put around him. He was a great kid. He had an appetite uh, to work. He'd, he'd, he'd come down to the football club at 12 o'clock just because he wasn't working at that stage and he just wanted a place to hang around and try and improve his own skills. So there's no surprise that he's able to, to go on and do what he did on grand final day. I think to watch him glide around belies his hardness a bit too. For everyone mm. you talk to said his God. heart is absolute nails that bloke. But did, how did you feel when you watched him you know, doing those blind turns and kicking that great goal in the grand final last year. Oh, a lot of pride to yeah. to be the one that gave him the opportunity at the football club. And you're right with his hardness. I probably played him out of position because he was a, a backup ruckman when I, I started mm. with him because he, he could play everywhere, but you just didn't know exactly what he was. the yeah. one spot yeah. you could sell him down in. I think Richmond are still probably going through a similar circumstance. But, you know, we tried him in the ruck, in the forward line. He kicked the three goals. And probably wasn't until Todd Curley, after I left, put him in defence that he started to really show that he had a few more strings and then put him as an on-baller inside midfielder and the rest is history. Yeah, some player. And if you only have to spend a few minutes with him to realise that it's quite surprising no one took a chance on him because mm. he's a beautiful young bloke and yeah, I felt so proud to even watch him even though I hadn't had much of a part to play with him at all. Andrew's state under-18s coach. He had the responsibility as well in a lot of ways to bring the AFL dreams of many young players into reality. That's a pressure that's pretty big when you're at that sort of acute end of their career, isn't it? And must have been something that was you had to be cognizant of, wasn't it? You, yeah. they, you had the, virtually their next step in their life, footy lives mm. in your hands in some ways, didn't you? Yeah, look, um, and I suppose when I coached the 18s, it, I didn't really see it as, as that. I um, I went more down the line of what a privilege to play for Western Australia and mm. because, as I said to a lot of them, I said, in your career, you probably won't get too much of an opportunity to play for WA. I said I was lucky probably to play in the last couple of State of Origin games. And uh, and I said, it's, it's just a privilege. And so this could be the last time you ever get that opportunity. And uh, so when, you, when, you, when you're given that sort of responsibility and uh, you talk about how, how good it is to beat the Vicks and all that sort of stuff, um, yeah, it's quite easy to get on the pride factor for those guys. And just to let them then go show their skills again the best in the land, you know, uh, 08 and 09 is still low rate as, you know, some of the best crops of players I've seen come through our system. A bit like Hayes with Marline, Did, <clears throat> is there a favourite of yours that came through under your watch? Uh, well, we're only talking about this yesterday. Uh, my favourite player, you know, look, in 09, look, our, our team in 09 was, you know, really outstanding. Yeah. From, you know, well, I think we had about 18 of them drafted out of the team and all that, but still my absolute favourite was uh, Mark Hutchings. And he yeah, was right. their captain of our side. Why is that? Uh, I think he showed a lot of the younger kids, or a lot of those players that are coming through, what it was like to be dedicated, like to take that, you know, whatever it takes to win a game and to really set the scenes. And right from day one, we uh, after our first session, we as a coaching group, we said, I think we found our captain who can lead our state. Mm. And, and and that's going, you know, you, you had a group there with that had Jack Darling in it, you know, Brad Shepherd, Yeah, Morabito, yeah, and, you, you know, you know, Duncans and these sorts of guys. So it was a 
fair crop of players coming through and Nat Fife as well, you know, and this bloke just shone out with his leadership role. So I think he's always been my favourite just for that. You know, um, obviously the year before, I, I was lucky enough to have Nick Nat and Richie and Chrissy Yaron, who I rated as one of the most talented players I've ever seen, unfortunately. Yeah, Chris had some obviously issues off field later in his career, but um, yeah, just to see those guys and what they could do, yeah, it was a real privilege just to be involved you know, hey, with them. Hayes, I want to finish on a really serious note. Uh, there was a push last year to have statues built to depict Northampton's star list of footballers for posterity. Was it true that you're all asked to pay for them? That was true, but uh, Bard <laughs> shut it down. He said, no, no, we can't be doing that. But, uh, it is true, and um, there's plans in the works to actually get it done. So. Who, who would have been the first one to pay? Oh, probably Chicky. <laughs> <laughs> I asked the question, are they going to do it when we, were the statues going to be what we, how we played, what we looked at when we played, or what we're well, right now? now. <laughs> and I said, oh, look, put my ear at the back in the air. The they don't need a little bit more metal now, do they? No, no, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then the thing for me is that, you know, watching all these kids come and play, you know, like Hayes and, you know, Joshy Kennedy and Chicky and all that, you know, to me, I, I feel... I don't really belong in that group. The, um, mainly from a point of, because they're so sensational, all these guys. Mm. And uh, for what they've all done, you know, uh, I reckon it's terrific. Oh, it's terrific. Well, you started it, mate. <laughs> what about Tarkin? We haven't touched on yeah, Tarkin. Tarkin. I'll Lock, throw yeah. Tarkin yeah. Lockyer in there. Yeah. Gets forgotten a bit. He, he was there till he was about 12, wasn't he? Yeah. Is that your reflection? Yeah, yeah and then he went. Then they moved to Albany, mm. and uh, it was quite uh, quite interesting. We uh, when he was in Albany, he came up and he was he, was, he came and stayed with me, and he said, oh, "I don't want to go play for the Claremont." And I said, "Well, okay. Well, I might be able to get to Shark Park." So we uh, so we did a bit of a deal with Claremont and uh, Kim Barrett at the time. So we swapped Cla- Tarkin for a couple of Eastern Mariner blokes uh, from up Chilton away, and um, and Claremont said, "Oh, yeah, we got these two kids who we really." Right, da da da. Well, unfortunately, the two kids that they got in their first day stole a car from Claremont, <laughs> stole a fridge, and stole, a, <laughs> and stole a TV. So they never played a game for uh, Claremont. And Ishmael uh, did, uh, I think, did pretty well. But that was a win for the Sharks. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I think Tarkin. Yeah, his his whole story is is one of, you know, he didn't get picked up in the national draft. You know, he was small. He was know? so determined. Yeah, wasn't he? Like, yeah. he was a pro at the age of yeah. sort of fourteen. And, and talking about professionalism, mm. he, he would. He was a sponge. So he uh, he made his own way across to the Nullarbor, asked Collingwood for a chance to go and train with him to show him, and um, and then he got Noel Jokins put him up, and Noel was the one that said to Collingwood, "Yep, no, you should pick him." And um, yeah, the rest is history. Well, the Northampton footy story is one well worth preserving, and you two have played a significant role in it. Congratulations on everything you've both achieved, and uh, thanks for the chat, boys. Great fun. Thanks, thanks Steve. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please share the podcast or tell a friend about it. And for tips on how to check in on a mate, search Think Mental Health WA.